Inside the Adventure, episode number 48 with Chrissy Mowell. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. This is your host, Marshall Mosher, and today we're hearing the story of Chrissy Mowell, a world-renowned ultra-trail runner who set multiple world records, such as the youngest woman to complete the Grand Slam of ultra-running and setting the woman's record for the Hard Rock 100-mile endurance run in 2007. Through her passion for trail running, Chrissy has had the opportunity to travel and experience the world, and she credits the support of her family, the trail running community, her rich life experiences, and the open spaces of high alpine terrain for inspiring her to keep moving forward. And you might think with someone that has the history of success that Chrissy's had in the running world, that running has always been a part of her life, but actually, it wasn't always like that. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. My parents moved to Washington State when I was a year old and was active in everything. My mom was awesome about getting us in anything from horseback riding to ballet to bowling, whatever, Girl Scouts, you name it, we did it. And I feel like that's been pretty integral in that attitude of I can, I'll try, what is it, I'm in. And that's kind of the approach I continued to carry through life. I found running pretty young. Uh, track and field and road races, but it was when I found ultra running my junior year of college that I felt like all the energy I'd put into being a runner came full circle and it became a very sustainable way of just energy flow, really. I met Scott Jurek when he just won his first Western States. We were working at the same uh, retail store and he took me on one of my first trail runs and I ran the Chuckanut 50K as my first ultra in 2000. And then the world has kind of unfolded from there in terms of the ultra running scene. Before you really had the chance to experience ultra running and fall in love with it in college, what were some of the ways you uh, expressed some of that energy that you must have had um, all throughout growing up as well? Were there other sports or other things you got into before you found ultra running? I would say, yeah, like looking back on grade school and high school, I was always in some sport, basketball, volleyball, soccer, track and cross country came later um, when I got into high school. Always in part of all the like clubs in high school. I was never like the popular, but I wasn't the geek, like just that girl that was doing everything to drill team even. <laughs> White girl can dance. Um yeah, I've always just been an I'm in kind of personality, whether it's do you want to try wakeboarding? Sure, I'll jump on. I get a little more fearful about that stuff now in terms of injury and things, but I've always tried. So I think that's just kind of governed a lot of life. Absolutely. Was that the mindset you had going into your first experience in college with it? With ultra running? Mm-hmm. I was a little resistant. They wanted me to get up at six o'clock on a Sunday morning to go Ooh, for a trail run early. and when you're in college, that's the only day I got to sleep in. Right. And I, it took six months, but they finally got me out. And once I had one, that was it. I so was were these friends totally that were trying in. to get you out? Or um, co-employees, but good okay. friends too. And I definitely feel like 
I'm an outlier, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, being in the right place, the right time, the right age, being female in a sport that's super male dominated. And my love of running on the roads and uh, courses that we did together, races, uh, meetups, led them to think like, oh, this girl, she could probably handle the trails. And then they pulled me out on a trail run and within three months was running my first race. Oh, wow. So that was the, when they pulled you out, that was kind of the first unofficial experience you had with it. And then three months later you were in it officially. I would say so. I got injured in that race and it took another eight or nine months before I was able to heal that and get back onto the trails. But that time also showed me when you're like not able to do what you want to do and it's taken away from you, that time shows you how much you really love it and how much you want to do it. So I think that was pretty key to have that withdrawal to understand how much I wanted it. Absolutely. If it had just been a gimme, maybe who knows how it would have gone. Right. You really have to work for it. What, what level were you at when you uh, had that first experience and then kind of trained for three months uh, and then did your first race were, what was the furthest you ever run? How'd you get into it? Um, and what was kind of the work it took to uh, accomplish that first official race, especially after getting injured? feels like a long time ago to be able to remember all of that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, it was a lot of fun to be on. Like the people I was working with, we just did a lot of running and training together. They, everybody was getting ready for the same event. So it was pretty natural that we would all just end up carpooling out to the trails and doing long runs and recovering and then going back and working at the store. So it just, it felt like a part of life, if you will, rather than a unique setup. I look back on it now and realize most people didn't go through their twenties that way. More and more people are now, but back then you didn't grow up running 20 miles on Saturday and another 10 or 15 on Sunday. And then I feel productive if I run four miles. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's it's just it was a perspective that I was introduced to and drug not drug through, but just lived through. That now I look back and realize that. That wasn't a normal perspective for people my age. Right. Through those but just decades. with your friend group, it, it felt more normal than it might have been. That was all I knew. That was, that was how it went. And that race, I uh, one of the guys, Scott McCubrey, was the owner of the store. He ran pretty much the whole race with me and, and oh, one other guy. And we ended up winning. I was the first female. So my running career had always been kind of mid-pack. I was an 800-meter runner. I ran cross-country. But I was never like the top level of any I just really loved being a runner and then all of a sudden I found this sport that I won and set a course record in the first event I did and I think there was some kind of spin to that that oh is this what I'm supposed to do is my body made to go these longer distances maybe those other races hurt so bad because I just wasn't at a distance that worked for for my body so when you went into that race did you expect to do so well expect to win oh no so no, was that a huge shock was, for you? That was nothing leading up to that that would have let me believe that for sure. In fact, my mom crewed me at that race, and she told me that if I looked like drab or pale or whatever at any of the aid stations, that she'd pull me. She wouldn't let me finish because at 22, she's a nurse. The doctor told her this is not good for a 22-year-old to be running these kind of distances, especially female, which is baloney, I think, at this point. We've proven the woman's body can do just as much, um, that she would pull me from the race. And so I went into it with this whole attitude. I just have to always be smiling and make sure that, like, mom knows that I'm okay at every aid station I come through. And the longest distance I'd run up to that point was 22 miles. So I had to do nine 
more miles. And when I reached that point, I remember like faking it for mom, but then just sobbing. Like I couldn't believe where in a happiness, but I was just couldn't believe where I was at and how I still had nine miles to go. And I was at the furthest distance and my mom was still there, but I couldn't let her know that I was so emotional about it. And there's a, like a breaking point when you hit that, that distance, that's pretty special. So it was more about like going the longest distance I ever had. And the fact that I won and set a course record was more aftermath. Like it was more about just doing the distance. And I ran the last nine miles with the IT band injury. So it was more of a hobble than a run. So that was part of the experience as well. It wasn't like a charging across the finish line. It was more like a limping, like, Oh, I'm finally here. So, wow. So really the goal was just to say, Hey, I'm going to finish this. Mm-hmm. And then finding out that you won at the end, what did that feel like? Ah, uh, I don't really, that's not as much of the impact of it's, it's being able to finish these things and that's carried through for sure. Like in any of the races I've done in the last 17 years. Absolutely. And now, now it translates more even to just adventure runs. It doesn't necessarily have to be a starting line to finish line. It's what do I want to go explore? And I want to finish it and backtracking to what you asked earlier. Like how was I raised? I was never allowed to quit anything. So if I started ballet, I finished ballet. If I went to horseshoe camp, I stayed for the whole week. So I think that mentality of you finish what you start is something that is a good thing to have ingrained when you're doing long distance running. Cause there's times when you just don't want to, <laughs> and it's Absolutely. hard. And if you sign up for it, I've been taught that you finish it. That mindset, I think, makes such a difference, especially because when the way you explain it makes it sound so easy to say, well, I, I got into this and then three months later I was doing my first race and did so well. But there's so much work that goes into it totally. that people don't see behind the scenes. Has having that mindset been one of the most important factors for you and how has that affected your career? I think it has been one of the most important factors, mostly because when you, when I get to a starting line, if I don't have the intention of finishing, I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't be there. And there's only been two races in 17 years of racing that I haven't finished. And those were, I would say having that mindset and then having a DNF happen was actually one of the most, or two of the most amazing lessons. Like when I went through that part and having to make the decision to quit, I knew I had to, it wasn't just, you know, my body didn't want to do it or, and, whatever other reason somebody or I might've come up with to not finish a race. I was able to accept that decision because I know I don't just quit because just because I don't know if I'm explaining the lesson all that well, but just having not many or only two DNFs in that amount of time, they were points in my career that made it more Mm -hmm. appreciative and understanding of that mentality that I'd learned. And you don't necessarily know that you do it that way until you have the opposite. Like, exactly. Whereas, like I said, the sport was taken away from me. It taught me how much I love it. I had a DNF. I know how important it is to me to finish. Mm-hmm. Like, and for anyone who is, isn't a runner, what does DNF stand for? Oh, did not finish. Okay. Yeah, I guess sorry. Yeah. most people could probably guess that. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> well, that's true. But what was having those two DNFs um, like in uh, affecting the rest of your running career? I, I would say positive. They were... One was really early on. I got off course and I tried to go back out and finish and they said, no, you already crossed the finish line. We got to to call it because I finished before all of the men like hours and it was a 50K and that it was obvious that I had missed part of the course. 
So that was just like a, you know, pay attention, don't get lost, know where you're at on the course. And the other one was more symbolic. I was back at UTMB, which is the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc in France. And I'd run and won the race in 2003 and in 2009 and was back in 2011 to run it. And I'd gone out early and I'd run the course in three or four days, like spent a bunch of time on the trail and then should have like stayed put and tapered. And then all my friends came to town and we kept running and I was too light. I'd lost a lot of weight in all of the training and my crew ended up missing me at one of the key aid station spots. And when it push came to shove, I was, you know, I didn't have enough calories. I didn't have any reserves. I was weaving down the trail and I sat down on a curb before the next climb. And there was these two guys next to me and they said, we're getting a ride. We're done. Do you want to go? And I said, you know what? I do. And it was a really, I just, I just went with what was going on in that moment. And I wonder if they'd said, Hey, we're going to walk the next climb together. Do you want to stick with us? I wonder had I done that. But I can look at where my body was physically, and if I'd pushed those next, I think I still had 30 or 40 miles to go, like what kind of detrimental state would I have put myself in? Not necessarily like muscularly, but endocrine and nervous system and immune system. So I, I'm okay with that decision, knowing that it could have gone either way, but I think it set me up to be healthy in the longer run, to know that like sometimes you can't do that much before you have to take care of yourself all the way up into the race. You can't just like use that fitness and go play big when you have a goal that you're trying to shoot for. Exactly. It seems like there's a very fine balance between uh, professional athletes that have to have an incredible sense of drive and motivation to be able to push yourself to the limits, but also making sure you don't push yourself too hard and uh, sustain any physical injury. How do you balance those two mindsets that are both very true, but at odds with each other? I think it's a really interesting thing that in running, I can be very patient and the rest of my life. I'm not, I don't, I, do, I wish I could translate the lesson that I, <laughs> I have or the ability I have in running to be patient with myself into the rest of my life. I don't have it there. So that's a, that's a funny polar opposite or whatever. Um, but that patience is what has kept me in the sport for 17 plus years now. Goodness. It's a long time. Um, to have the ability to stop, step back if something's aching or get in and get an appointment with a body worker of some kind or work on myself with you know, products that sponsors like rollers and um, orbs and all the other good things that I have in my closet. I also feel like nutrition is a big piece. It's really easy to get caught up in being light and fast physically. And I've taken a lot of work, I've taken a lot of time to work with doctors to learn about what's the best weight to be at it. How do I maintain that? What are the best nutrients to put in my body? And I'm not strict on my diet by any means. I don't follow anything specific other than calories are important. Sources are as important. How do I make sure that that keeps me balanced and recovering and able to keep doing the sport? Absolutely. It seems like in running, as well as in a lot of sports and really in a lot of things in life, that there's a very interesting balance between uh, preparing yourself physically and mentally. What's the mental component for this? Early on for me, it was a lot of visualization. I would really read through 
course descriptions. I would get out on as many courses as I could. When I started traveling more internationally, obviously that got harder to preview a course, but I would read as much as I could and then try and place myself there. That has then translated over the years to a sense of feeling. So I'm training for the White River 50 miler now, and I have run that race before and so can do the visualization of like where I am on the course or what it might feel like on the course. So even if I know the course or not, I'll try in my training to feel, how do I want to feel when I'm at mile 70? Well, how do I want to feel? I'm tired right now. Is this what it's going to feel like? Okay, how am I going to make sure I feel better or feel it the way I think I should at that distance? And just setting my, like, just my brain up to think that way. It's almost like maybe foreshadowing for what the race can unfold. Like it doesn't always work, but I've been amazed at how it can translate over so especially like if I've never seen a course before and I go and run the last five miles and just you're fresh I haven't done any of the miles before and lock in how good that feels so that when I come in and maybe I'm tattered hopefully that setting myself up for that last five miles I will feel the way I did in that preview run or whatever I kind of bounced around there, but I think I hopefully leave the message. No, that's absolutely. That's fascinating. And throughout all those experiences, obviously you have hundreds of stories and memories you could share, but are there any recent memorable experiences that really stick out in your mind that made a big impact on you that you could share with us? The one that you said first answer that comes to mind, that's usually the best. I ran the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is 165 miles around the Tahoe Lake. And it's up in the mountains. And it doesn't have, for as many miles as it is, it doesn't have a ton of elevation gain. It's, I think it's around 30, I don't think it's 30,000. It's between 25 and 30, 165 miles. I um, returned from Europe early August. Let me think again. I turned from Europe late August to run the Tahoe Rim Trail the end of September. And I spent the first week of September on my parents' couch, sicker than a dog. I lost 10 pounds in that week, and I was supposed to be planning this FKT effort. And that whole time I was ill and not doing well health-wise, I still stayed mentally like focused on that goal. I had 12 people coming to help me do that race, or just not a race, the FKT. And I focused on that energy and planning and setting everything up so that they would have the best information that they needed to help me get around the lake. And it was one of those times, like my health came around just in time. I was able to add a few pounds back to my body and we went for it and everything play. It was like play, pressing play on a video that was already done. Like I set it up in such a way that it just flowed and worked. And there's, I, I had an interesting conversation yesterday that people say sometimes it's, like with 100 milers, they're so challenging and everything in life is going to come up during them that it's hard to have those breakout experiences or something that seems beyond yourself. And I was totally on the other side of the argument on that thinking because I believe that if you set yourself up and you believe in all of this extra stuff, like, or not extra stuff, that's too general, but putting the effort into making the event exactly what you want it to be, you can achieve more than maybe what your physical body is capable of. Like my physical body was not in a state to run 165 miles as ill as I had been, but like the mental state was able to take it there and the support of all the people. I can't discredit that at all. 
Absolutely. I think a lot of people sometimes um, attribute things to luck. What's your viewpoint on the difference between luck and being prepared and uh, both mentally and physically, like you just said? I don't think there's a difference. I think they go together. Exactly. I think <laughs> I you're think, right. <laughs> I think there's, and that's what I mean. Like I did the preparation. My body wasn't there. Something else had to factor in to make it work that well. And whether it's energy of the universe or putting it out there and making an ask and having it all come around, having 12 people think and believe in me that I could do it. I mean, they weren't, weren't there with me to see me as ill as I was, they didn't know any better. They knew the Chrissy that's one hard rock or one UTMB. So she's going to do this. And that energy coming at you, I, I can't help but call that luck. <laughs> Absolutely. Support. Yeah. How far do you think having support and guidance from both friends, family, and mentors really plays in the sport? It's huge for me. I, I, running is viewed as a very individual sport. And I've managed to turn it into a team sport. And there's some people that look at it and the way that I all run these events and they poo-poo it for being, it's not you, Chrissy, it's all these other people. And I'll say, exactly. Like, it wasn't just me that got around Lake Tahoe. Like, I had somebody with me every step that I ran that lake. And it's it wasn't just about my experience. It's about getting to share these really cool places and really cool experiences and being vulnerable enough to let them see me in my grossest and like bro- most broken down state. It's, it's pretty amazing. So I, I think it is more of a, a we and how do you bring that aspect into something that's usually viewed as very individual. Absolutely. Was there a very um, kind of team and family friend support network component to the decision to focus full time on running? And how did that shift come? Ah, that's a good, yeah, that's seven years ago. So I was working for the nonprofit, the Conservation Alliance, which is amazing nonprofits doing even more and more incredible work as the years go on. And especially with the challenges that are up against public lands right now, the Conservation Alliance is putting a lot of effort into that. I was working for them and I had an opportunity to try the sponsored ultra athlete life and nobody was doing it like there was very few people that were making a living as an ultra runner like you don't grow up thinking I'm going to be an ultra runner like I didn't even know what it was and I was at the outdoor retailer trade show where we are now and I had one more sponsor approach me and offer enough cash that got me to a point that I thought gosh I couldn't make this work and even if meat and beans and rice (laughs) like I, I can make this work and I had enough savings and I had some personal life stuff that had recently happened as well. And it was a jumping off point. And when you ask like how much of your friends and family, I would say all of the people in the ultra running community, like thinking like, gosh, that would be really cool to see somebody do that. I felt that I also in the sponsorships and that part of it, Um, I also felt that I didn't have that far to fall. I have very great friends and my family is very supportive that if I got through that year and it wasn't working financially, I wasn't going to end up on the street. Like I didn't have far to fall, which I think is a privilege. Like there's, there's a lot that comes with having that kind of support behind you to be able to take a step that feels really scary when the next day, I remember the last day of work, I, 
the next day I woke up and almost called my boss and said, no, like I'm kidding. Like take me back. But I'm really glad I didn't make that call. You mentioned the outliers concept earlier on and being in the right place at the right time. What factor do you think timing played in that decision as well? Uh, Ultra running was not a very well-known sport. Women were not doing it. Young women were very few and far between in the sport in the early 2000s. And by the time I was at a place where it would, it made sense financially or it made, I could do or make this leap. I had seven years racing experience under my belt and I'd done a lot of it through the brands that I was working with. I worked for a footwear brand and a hydration pack brand and those jobs had sent me around to races and I was there showing product. Everybody was off racing. So I went and raced with them. So I created this resume by default, just having a good time and doing what I love. And as the sport became more well-known, I'd been there all along. Had I not met the Scots, Scott McCurry and Scott Jurek, and started running the Chuckanut 50K and then took over the race directorship and all these steps were just following my heart, like that seems like the right thing to do. I don't think I would have had the base behind me to set myself up for that position to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to try this. There's enough info here that says, yeah, that, that makes sense for me. I'm too logical. I'm not... It might look like I'm really flighty and I bounce around and do all this cool stuff. A lot of friends will say that. But I'm, I am pretty logical in, in how those things end up playing out. I might just not communicate it all that well. <laughs> what role did planning play in having those things play out the way they did? Planning. I, I can't say I planned it. <laughs> I definitely can't, but I can say I'm a planner. I just I wrote a book, and I actually just got the Chinese version today. It's printed in a second language. Um, and if you look at it, it's all spreadsheets in terms of how to prepare for your first ultra. It's called running your first ultra. And that is, that is how my brain works. Like when you look at that book and you see the lists and packing lists and spreadsheets and how to plan for your travel, it's all in there. And that's how my brain works. So I have to believe that those things also play into how I've been able to make this life work. But I didn't have a spreadsheet that said quit job on this day. So <laughs> start, start. But I think that's when life is really happening. Like you plan as much as you can and you get things ready. And I say for races as well. And I did this for Tahoe. I had all these spreadsheets that were color coded and everything. And I handed it over to the crew and said, and the whole thing could change. Here's the best plan, best laid plan. Hopefully it goes this way, but we have to be able to roll with it. And that's when life happens. Like Best prepared and then let it happen. As someone who is such an adamant planner with so many aspects of your life, did it scare you at all to go ahead and make such a big decision like that, even though it might not have been uh, exactly planned out that way? I think the best way to answer it is that I made a plan that I could do it for a year. I had enough savings and connections and ideas of how that year was going to go. I was going to live in my car, travel the West. I had that part of it planned that I could look out and see that year. I think what was hard was letting go of the five-year plan, the 10-year plan that I'd always been taught to make. And I still don't have a five-year plan, 10-year plan, but that was seven years ago. And this, this, hope I had of being able to do it for a year. I've figured out how to keep it going now, seven years later. Well, it's, it's really incredible to hear how you've 
so obviously turned your passion into a career, what advice would you give to others who want to do the same that might have been on a similar track? Try it. (laughs) It can't hurt. (laughs) And it's really, I don't know, it's funny that I just said that because there's other aspects of my life where I'm really, I can feel myself holding back and I'm having to almost force myself to learn the lesson of other aspects of life. Like I said, I have those um, patience. I sit on two sides of the realm in terms of personal life. I don't have a lot of patience in running. I do pushing myself and trying things in my running world or career. That seems easy to me. My personal life, I struggle with it. So maybe just listening to that struggle and learning the lessons of the other aspect of life and see how it plays out. Cause that's all we, that's all we've got. We don't know. And that's why I think as a planner, you're trying to know, and then you kind of have to not for a while. <laughs> exactly. Were there any circumstances or uh, periods, uh, points of time in your life where you thought that um, that something wouldn't work out, that you wouldn't be able to achieve the goal that you had? And how do you get through that? I, I feel like I just throw myself in to try and make things work. If it didn't work, it rolled into, if it didn't work the way I wanted to, it rolled into something else. Right. It became sense. part of something that ultimately did work. Right. But yeah. it's usually, I would, or I would say it's just like trying, but then knowing it might not look exactly how you want. I don't know. There was a, there was a point where I was really scared to put my name in the hat for a TED conference. I had been asked to be a speaker at a TEDx conference um, here in Seattle or not here in Seattle area. And I knew if I was going to get the position to be able to speak a part of that conference, I would have to put everything into it. And I remember feeling like, but if I put everything into it and then I don't get it, that's going to be really disappointing. But if I half-ass it and I don't get it, then it won't hurt as bad, but then I won't know if I could have got it. Kind of to your point of you have to, I had to go all in and risk it not working to get it. And I did get it. Like it, it worked, but it was definitely a decision to risk that fear of, of it not working. Exactly. Really embrace that mm-hmm. chance to be vulnerable, to mm-hmm. really pursue something with your full passion and, and your full attention. Definitely. Exactly. I can do it physically when it comes to emotional side. That's what it gets hard for me. (laughs) That's really interesting because you've, I feel like you've done a great job of turning the physical component um, into the emotional component with, with writing your book and with all the speeches and, um, and other ways you've conveyed that. Um, How did you get started with, with those types of avenues as well and translating the things you learned from running into speaking and writing? that I'm in attitude. Somebody says, you want to try this? I better give it a shot. Even if it's scarier, it might hurt emotionally, physically, whatever. I I throw myself in. Just got to go all in. I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, I love that mindset. That's perfect. And I think that shows in so many different things that you've done. And we, I don't always ask this question, but I think it's really relevant since you've um, accomplished so much with such an incredible mindset. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to leave behind um, at the end of the day? What influence do you want to kind of give the world through the work that you've done? You said the first thing comes to mind. My first ultra, that moment where my mom told me she'd pull me out if I didn't look like happy or enjoying it or whatever, has carried me through the entire sport. And it's to smile. So when I saw my mom, I had to smile. And it got me to the end of that race. Even though I was limping and my IT band had failed and it was hard, I was still smiling when I crossed the finish line because 
I had to show my mom that it was going to be okay. And through a lot of really hard things, it's amazing what that energy can do, whether it's like actual physical smile or if you just approach the world with the, the optimism that that brings. It seems really simple, but sometimes it's really hard. So, yeah, if you could leave. I don't know if I've thought about it that way of like leaving it as a legacy, if you will, but I think that's, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good mark on the sport. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, a smile and a little bit of positivity go a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it's, and it's not a fake it till you make it, you've got to be genuine in it. I do believe that Like you have to believe that, okay, I've got to force this optimism right now, but it's not a fake thing. It's like dig in and find where that lives in you and bring it out. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. It's been a real pleasure to have you on, and I can't wait to hear. Last minute, like meet up and make it happen. (laughs) Hey, that's what OR is all about, Mm -hmm. and what that mindset you just described in your podcast is about. All in. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Chrissy. It's been a pleasure. If you or someone you know has your own adventure story and would like to be featured on the show, you can contact us by visiting vestigo.co slash podcast. While on our website, you can also listen to our past episodes and subscribe to the show. Remember, your next adventure is right around the corner. The only thing stopping you is you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Inside the Adventure.